All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Before we jump into the material for this session, let me just make mention of a free resource on my website. I frequently forget to mention this, but I have a ebook on my website, about a 35 or so page ebook, completely free, uh, titled Bible in Life, and it gives 10 practices for reading the Bible well and applying it to your life. And so if you're looking for some guidance on how to study the Bible for yourself, how to read the Bible for yourself, uh, that book is available on my website at listenerscommentary.com. So just go to listenerscommentary.com and right, scroll down a little bit, you'll see it. And you just got to put in your email address and all that, and you'll get that free ebook uh, made available to you. So check that out if that sounds like it would be useful to you. All right, in this recording, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And the context of this is we're right in the middle of a whole section that Paul is discussing the topic of eating food offered up to idols. So chapter 8, 9, and 10 really revolves around that topic, particularly not just eating the food, but particularly eating it in the temple precincts. Chapter 8 essentially argued that just because someone knows the truth about idols and the one true God doesn't give them the right to eat whatever they want, wherever they want, in total disregard for the impact on their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in chapter 8 that love is actually superior to knowledge and love is concerned about the other person, not just serving myself. Well, in making that point in chapter 8, Paul says this, chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, Take care that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And the word translated freedom there in 8, verse 11, is the connection between chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so we're going to look at chapter 9, 1 through 18 in this recording, but we just need to make sure we don't miss how it fits in. The word that's translated freedom there in 8 verse 11 is exousia in Greek. And technically that word means authority, but the nuance is different depending on the context. So think in terms of authority to do what I want, hence freedom, or hence my right. Well, that particular word, exousia, is used six times in chapter 9. And though it's translated, at least in this translation that I'm using, the New American Standard, it's translated as freedom in 8.11 and the word right in chapter 9. It's the exact same word. And that's the connection between chapters 8 and 9. So this section here in chapter 9 seems to have two functions or purposes in the big context of chapters 8, 9, and 10. The first and primary purpose is this that in the context of the topic at hand, food offered to idols, it provides an example from Paul's life and ministry about setting aside your freedoms or your rights for the sake of others because you're motivated by their well-being and by the gospel, not by self-interest. That's the primary function of chapter 9 in this, sub this discussion. But there's a secondary function, it seems like, and that's this. Uh, Paul seems to have a sense that there are people who are kind of looking down on him because of his lowly approach to ministry. And so in choosing this example, he's also um, helping them realize that this was intentional on Paul's part, and it is in keeping with the gospel. And so by 
uh, bringing up his lowly approach to ministry, especially his unwillingness to take material support or patronage uh, from them, uh, that's causing some people to question Paul's credentials. And so, secondarily, this example begins to at least subvert their questioning of Paul on this matter. So, primarily, this is an example of giving up your rights for the sake of serving others. Secondarily, it helps them begin to understand Paul's lowly approach to ministry. All right, with that uh, bit of context in mind, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And the chapter begins with some rhetorical questions. It says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, keep the flow of thought in mind. It's really easy because of our chapter breaks that were added after Paul wrote it. Uh, Paul didn't put, you know, chapter 8, chapter 9. Those were added later. And our chapter breaks sometimes can cause us to miss the flow of thought. So we end reading chapter 8, we shut our Bible, we're done for the day, we move on, and then we forget the connection. But if you skip the chapter break and read right past it, I think you can hear the connection. Paul just said at the end of chapter 8, uh, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to sin. Then the chapter break, and then he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Do you hear the connection? Um, Paul says, I won't eat meat again. And then he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Like, don't I have the freedom to eat that meat? Aren't I an apostle with authority so I can kind of assert myself and do what I want? And yes, Paul is an apostle. And yes, Paul is free. But even as such, he will gladly limit his freedom and give up his rights by not eating meat if necessary for the well-being of his brother or sister in Christ. He also asks, are you not my work in the Lord? And yes, that's true as well. They're his work in the Lord. And so guess what? He will even gladly give up his rights for them. And they're the result of his ministry and his work. They're the very seal, he says, of his apostleship. A seal was literally... Um, a, you know, like referred to wax or clay in which the impression of a person's ring or stamp was pressed to verify that indeed this came from them. They're like that. Like they have the impression of Paul's apostleship on them. Their existence as a church full of the gospel and full of the spirit uh, verifies Paul's apostleship. And even with that, he will gladly uh, give up his rights for their benefit. And so these rhetorical questions that start the chapter really begin to introduce this idea of Paul's example and his self-lowering for the good of other people, even those people who are the work of his apostleship. And so with the being a representative, that's the idea of apostle. An apostle is an official ambassador or a representative of somebody. And he's that of the Lord Jesus himself. And he's like, even as that. I would give up my rights for you. I have given up my rights for you. In fact, in verses 3 through 6, Paul offers three examples of rights he would give up or has given up for them. And so he says this in verse 3. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. This is where we begin to get that hint of that secondary purpose, that there are some in the church maybe who are questioning Paul's credibility or even his authority based on the self-emptying way he's conducted his ministry. And he says, My defense is this. 
do we not have the right to eat and drink? The word translated right in verse 4 is the same word translated freedom in 8.11. It's our first use of it here. And Paul has just said at the end of chapter 8, look, I'll gladly not eat meat again. And Paul's like, don't I have the right to do that? Of course he does. But he's going to give that up. Another example, verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and even Cephas, in keeping with what he just wrote back in chapter 7? He, along with others on his ministry team, could have gotten married. They, were, they had the freedom to do that. The rest of the apostles are married after all. Jesus's brothers are married after all. Peter gets a specific mention here, right? Cephas at the end of verse 5 is a reference to Peter. Peter is married, and we knew that from the Gospels because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And so, like, all the other apostles and the Lord's brothers are married. Didn't we have that right? Yeah, we did. Paul had that right, but he gave that up for the sake of the Gospel. And then we get example number three in verse six, and it's the example that's really going to occupy him for the bulk of the rest of the chapter. So verse six, or... Do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? And so giving up food, giving up marriage, and giving up work. These are the three examples he gives. And he says, don't Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working? And what does he mean by that? Well, what he means is that he had the right of material support from the Corinthians, and he gave that up and worked with his own hands to meet his own needs. When you read Acts chapter 18, Paul, when he first showed up in Corinth, he actually joined the, the leather working shop, the tent making business of Aquila and Priscilla, rather than accept material support from the Corinthians or patronage from a wealthy Corinthian. Is that because he didn't have the right to such support and the right to refrain from working? Of course not. Paul could have done that. Paul could have uh, abstained from working with his own hands and been supported by them. But he chose not to do that. Why? As he's going to go on to explain, he'll show that he believed it was best for them and it was best for the gospel for him to work and provide for his own support when he started the church there in Corinth. So he and Barnabas, they had the right to refrain from working. Paul then is going to develop this whole topic and why he chose this approach in the rest of the chapter. So he follows it up in verse 7 with some examples of people who are supported by their work, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. Soldiers actually get paid by the government and provided for by the government for their work. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its fruit? Of course, if you plant grapevines, you're going to eat some of the grapes and drink some of the wine. Uh, who tends a flock? and doesn't consume some of the milk of the flock, right? Like if you have uh, if you have some goats, you're going to drink the milk. This is just standard practice. People are supported by their work. Then he goes on in verses 8 and 9 and says the Old Testament scriptures actually teach the same thing. And so verse 8, I am not just asserting these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does the law, meaning the Old Testament law, not say these things as well? And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4 in verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. And so like normal human life, military, farming, vineyards, all of that, it teaches that people are supported by their work. The law itself also teaches that people have a right to be supported for their work. You shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. And the point of Deuteronomy 25.4 
is that while the ox is actually working, you don't keep him from eating some of the grain that he's threshing. But it's not just about oxen. Look what Paul says in the rest of verse 9. God isn't concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking entirely for our sake? Yes, it was written for our sake because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing in the crops. And so when you're working with the oxen, you do so with the belief that you're actually going to benefit from the work. And so uh, normal human life teaches us that a person has the right to be supported by their work. The scriptures, Deuteronomy 25, teaches us that that people ought to be supported for their work. And then Paul draws out the specific point for his specific example and situation. So he says in verse 11, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Notice Paul's using the the imagery of sowing and reaping because he just was talking about farming, right, with with an oxen. And so he's like, look, that's sort of what we did. We planted spiritual things in you that grew. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? No, Paul had that right. And he could have expected them to support him because of his gospel work among them. In fact, he says in verse 12, if others share that right, there's our word exousia again, if others share that right over you, do we not more? Like, what does he mean, do we not more? Well, like... Paul and his team, they're the ones who are responsible for the Corinthians first hearing the gospel. He is their apostle. He's the one who planted the church. So Paul and his team actually have more of a right to expect support from the Corinthians than others do. But look at the second half of verse 12. Nevertheless, we did not use this right. But we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And so Paul has emphasized, we could have expected just from ordinary work practices, we could have expected from the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures, we could have expected from the fact that we were the ones who first started the church among you, we could have expected you and had a right to expect you to provide materially for us, but we didn't. We didn't. Paul didn't use his right to material support, just like he's instructing those in the church to uh, give up their right of eating food offered to idols. Why did Paul do that? He says he did it not for his own sake. He did it so that he would not cause any hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So he's driven by what's best for the gospel. And how can I further the gospel? And how can I make sure I don't hinder the gospel? Now, this principle of material support holds true in religious and sacred matters, too. Paul goes on in verse 13 and says, Don't you know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? In other words, priests in the temple. Where do they get their meat? They get their meat from the sacrifices. It was true for Jewish priests in the temple in Jerusalem. It was true in uh, pagan temples as well. They got their food from their activity as priests, and so they're supported by their work. And so the point is that from normal life's work, a priest's work in a temple, from the Old Testament scriptures, everything says 
Paul had this right. And so he says in verse 14, so also, because this is true in every area of life, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Paul, Barnabas, the other apostles, other gospel ministers should be supported for their work in the gospel. And when Paul says this, um, when he says the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel, he may actually be thinking of a specific teaching of Jesus, um, such as that found in Matthew chapter 10 or Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 12 and he instructs them to take nothing extra, but let the people they visit provide for their needs. Paul may have that specific teaching of Jesus in mind. We know that Paul actually linked this teaching in Matthew 10 or Luke 10 to providing for those who work for the Lord because he actually quotes from those chapters in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, when he says the laborer is worthy of his wages. That comes right from Luke chapter 10. And he quotes it to show that people who give themselves to preaching and teaching should be provided for by those to whom they preach and teach. So Paul and his team had the right to material provision from the Corinthians. They should have got their living from the gospel. In other words, from those they were preaching to, the Corinthians themselves. But, verse 15, Paul says, I have used none of these things. Paul gave up his right and limited his freedom because, as he said above, he believed it was best for the gospel. And based on what we see in the book of Acts and based on what we read in Paul's other letters, it seems like this was a common practice for Paul. He didn't just do it at Corinth. He did it regularly. And it seems like it was driven by a couple of concerns. One was being accused of just being in it for the money because he never knew exactly how long he'd be in town before he got forced out because of opposition and persecution. And he just didn't want to be accused of taking people's money and running. That's one of the ways it could have uh, caused a hindrance for the gospel. He also seems to have concern that the entire patronage system that was just hardwired into their culture, that the entire patronage system would create too many strings attached for ministry and for the gospel to actually do its best work in the church. And so he, he didn't want to be indebted to the patronage system and indebted to people where there were all these strings attached that he, because of the culture, would have to honor and all that. Does that mean that Paul never took financial support from his churches? Well, no, it doesn't actually. Paul knows he has the right to make a living from the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. So Paul actually took support, financial support from his churches. But he had a very intentional way of doing that. When he first came to town and started a church, his general policy was he would not take support from that brand new church in that town. So with the Corinthians, when he showed up in Corinth, he worked in the tent-making shop of Aquila and Pr Priscilla in order to provide for his own room and board. He wasn't going to take support from them when he first shows up, but he still was financially supported from other churches. And so there he is working in the tent-maker shop of Aquila and Priscilla until Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia and they brought an offering from the churches there in Macedonia. So Paul was able to quit working in the tent maker shop and give himself to full-time ministry. And so that's how Paul seemed to operate. He wouldn't take support when he first showed up in town. He would let other churches from earlier times support his ministry. 
And what we can tell in Acts and his letters, that was a standard practice. And it was deeply important to him because, as he said, he was concerned about the well-being of the gospel. So he didn't take advantage of this right. He had the right to support from them. He didn't take advantage of that right. Um, and he doesn't want that to change. In fact, notice what he says in the second half of verse 15. He says, and I have not written these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than that. Like, look, I didn't take advantage of this right that I have, and I'm not telling you this so that all of a sudden you start giving me or feel obligated to give to me and support my ministry. I'm not going to change my, my procedures on this. It would be better for me to die than that. Then he says, no one shall make my boast an empty one. This is interesting because it's sort of a little bit ironic. Boasting was an important part of Greco-Roman culture. It actually seems to have been especially valued in Corinth. And the way to, to know if somebody really had importance and credibility and honor was what they could boast in. It was an accepted social practice. Self-promotion and boasting was important to knowing who really had clout and importance and status. But Paul's boast is ironic because it's more like an anti-boast. Rather than self-congratulating and self-advancing, his boast is self-emptying and self-lowering. He lowered himself, made his life harder. As he said above, he endured all things for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. That's an anti-boast, and it's a bit ironic. And he says, no one's going to take that away from me. No one's going to make my boast an empty one. Then he goes on and explains that preaching the gospel was his duty, and his boast is how he went about doing that. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about. Like, he has no boast simply for preaching the gospel. Why? As he explains, he says, for I am under compulsion. For woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Like, I have to do it. I'm under compulsion. In fact, woe to me if I don't. He says, for if I do this voluntarily, okay, then I have some sort of reward. But if against my will, as if like I'm compelled to do it, I have been entrusted with a commission. And that's how Paul views his ministry. He didn't have a choice. Paul has to preach. He's carrying out a commission from the king. King Jesus himself met him on the road to Damascus and commissioned him to preach the gospel. And so Paul didn't really have a choice. He had to do it. So there's no reward or no boast in that. So what is his reward? We'll look at verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And his right in the gospel is, as he said, to get his living from the gospel. But when he, when he comes to town and he preaches the gospel, he does it without charge. He does it without looking for a patron or some sort of material support. And again, to many of their ears, this is all wrong. Like, this is the wrong kind of boast. It's backwards, and it's upside down because it's not promoting himself. It's actually lowering himself by giving up his rights. He had the right in the gospel to material support, and he could have expected that from them. But instead, he gave up that right. He worked all day and preached on the side until money finally came down from Macedonia. And... And Paul says, that's what his boast is. It's this ironic, upside down sort of anti-boast that I lower myself for the sake of the gospel 
and for the sake of others. Now, Paul will continue in the rest of chapter 9 by showing how this self-emptying for the sake of the gospel leads him to consider what's best for others. But we'll break here with just a couple reflections. First, giving up our rights. That's not very popular. It wasn't popular in Paul's day. It was an anti-boast, and it was ironic that Paul would do it. It wasn't popular then. It's not really popular now. No one wants to give up their rights and their freedoms. But for Paul, it shaped how he did ministry. Um, it made his ministry harder. It made it more challenging financially. It made it more challenging with his time. He had to work during the day and preach on the side. But it was intentional and it was well thought out. Uh, and his example is a challenge to the Corinthians about what they eat and when they eat and where they eat um, and how they do it, that they do it with their brothers and sisters in mind as an expression of love. And this actually challenges us as well to think through, what are we willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? What rights or freedoms do we think, I'm going to open my hand and let those go because I believe that's best for others and that's best for the gospel. And that's really the second reflection here is not just giving up our rights, but giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel. What's best for the gospel? And this question seems to have been really a deep motivation in Paul's ministry. Uh, and it shaped a lot of what he did. In fact, shortly before he arrived in Corinth, Paul endured an unjust illegal beating in Philippi because he believed that was the best response for the sake of the gospel. Um, Paul's approach to his finances. Well, it's going to make life harder for me, but I believe that's best for the gospel. What would it look like for you and for me if we regularly examined our life through that lens? What's best, not just for me, what, not just even for others, but what's best for the gospel in the lives of others? What's best for the gospel in my life and my neighborhood? What's ultimately going to bring the most benefit to the gospel? What's best for the gospel. All right, we will leave it there and continue Paul's discussion of this topic in our next recording. Hey, thanks for listening to this session on the listener's commentary on 1 Corinthians. And thanks again to all of you who support this ministry. It is only possible because of your generosity and your kingdom vision. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by clicking the link down below or going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, uh, setting up a donation amount, clicking the box that says make this a monthly donation or give a one-time donation. So thanks a ton for your support.